Robert Clive, the first Governor General of the Bengal Presidency, the man who turned the tide in favour of the British Empire during colonial India. Robert Clive, the Clive of India. According to his uncle, who tried to discipline him, he was a violent kid right from the age of seven. He loved fighting. He was a street fighter, a trait that stuck with him throughout his life. When he was a teenager, he was a delinquent, constantly getting into trouble because of his protection rackets. His father was worried about him and realized that even the church could not help Clive change his violent ways. His father knew someone in the East India Company. Through this relation, he got Clive a job as an accountant in the company. When Clive was 17, he set sail for India, a place that he was never fond of. He was homesick while in India and would often get into fights with his colleagues. He even had to formally apologize to one of his bosses in the company because of his bad behavior. He was so violent that he would even hurt himself and attempted suicide as a young 20-year-old. He hated his job, hated his colleagues. The only talent he possessed was his street-fighting skill of seizing up his opponent. But this came in useless since he had no people to fight with. He was just an accountant. It was only during the French attack on Madras where Clive was positioned that he became noticeable to the company as a soldier. He was just 21. He wanted to attack the French but could not because he was just an accountant. So he walked from Chennai to Kudalur where Fort St. David is located which is around a 35 hour walk and met with the English soldier Stringer Lawrence. Stringer was a veteran soldier. He saw Clive's interest in fighting and trained him in the art of war. Clive and Stringer worked together and fought the French in Trichinopoli and Arcot. Around 2000 French sepoys were made prisoners of war. And all this victory came from a guy who was just a street fighter, a rowdy and a delinquent. Word spread about Clive's fighting abilities and he became a hero back in England. Even his dad was proud of him and wrote a letter saying, you are celebrated in the homeland. Use this time to gather as much fortune as you can. He also received a lot of gifts and was able to amass a large sum of money from India. He got married in Chennai and set sail to England. He was just 28, wealthy and a national hero. After returning to England, he tried his hands in politics and got a seat in the parliament. But due to irregularities in the voting process, he was soon removed. During this time, he was called for a meeting by the company to go as the head of an army. He was to recruit and train the army that would go on to make a mere commercial enterprise into one of the most violent organizations in the world.
Hello and welcome back to another episode of Writer and Geek Show. So this week we are going to continue the same discussion that we had last week, which is about British occupation of India. Which is a part of discussion that we have been having since months about the colonization of India, right? I think I think we started this uh, when the pandemic started at the time when pandemic started. Is that which was the first episode? I forgot. It was about ancient India. Mm, yeah. See, the thing was like we ha- we've had this idea for like at least two years because I remember talking about doing a series on Indian history, but then yeah, because of time constraints and our laziness, we never uh, really did it. Yeah, it's mostly so finally lazy. we are here. So. Last episode, we were talking about Robert Clive, the Battle of Plassey, and how they used Mirjafar to gain grounds on uh, Siraj Daula and uh, then take back Bengal. So, this episode, we'll just talk about Robert Clive a little bit, then we'll get into the other uh, prominent Ghana generals and mm-hmm. uh, their policies of uh, rule in India. They brought about new policies to just assert their dominance over uh, the Indian princely states. So, yeah, Robert Clive, uh, he's called the Clive of India, which is what we have learned in school, right? Like in text- textbooks when we are taught about him in, uh, you know, 8th grade or I don't remember. I don't have grade, that yeah, much of a recollection about anything. About Only thing I remember is he was one of the guys who fought in Battle of Plassey. Yeah, but he played a major role, not just in the Battle of Plassey, but... Uh, you know, from 1740s to like mm. uh, 17 late 1760s, like he was the one uh, with whose help they were able to like drive out the French mm. from India. I think so, even in South India, he did have some massive campaigns before the Battle of Plassey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he walked uh, like 350 kilometers and all that to just to take part in one fight. So this guy, while back in England, used to be a very uh, you know angry kid. The angry teenager who used to get uh, into all kinds of trouble and uh, his parents or nor did his uh, family members and everyone else didn't know like what to do with this guy. So finally he was shipped off to India when uh, he was 17 uh, as an accountant which is a job (laughs) that he hated and he was in a foreign land. He was homesick. He did even try to commit suicide a few times and uh, he was really unhappy. Um, being an accountant and not being able to fight. So, when the opportunity came uh, in the form of French, uh, in Kudalur, uh, you know, Fort St. David, they had a battle there. This guy walked for like 35 hours to get there and then, uh, you know, help the Britishers hatch plot of how to get rid of the French. That's when they actually realized how good Robert Clive was uh, as a soldier and... Uh, they took him away from his accountant job and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, gave him a better position as a soldier in the company. And rest is history. So, uh, the first major battle I think he had was against uh, the French uh, General Duplay. I mm-hmm. think we talked about him in our French episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Duplay is also the guy who first brought subsidiary alliance to the colonies. But it was re- later utilized by the Britishers to rule India properly. Now, properly in the sense for the British. Hmm. So, yeah. Robert Clive, though, he was just a fighter, a reckless person. Uh, he's currently known as the Clive of India. What do, what do they mean by Clive of India? I don't even know. It's, it's just a name that you give, right, uh, to people to say that they are such great people. So, we'll give them some kind of name which shows that how 
great they are yeah i just don't see how it yeah. makes any sense yeah robert clive <laughs> what is his name if his name was robert clove <laughs> anyway after the battle of plazi we stopped at where uh, we talked about how mir jafar was given the uh, nawab ship is it nawab ship or just the position title of, of nawab title the of title nawab. of nawab of bengal but then the britishers realized that this guy does not have any leadership qualities and they finally removed him Hmm. and made his son-in-law mir kazim the nawab of bengal but from the beginning itself mir kazim was you know he had this anti european sentiments and he didn't shy away from showing it hmm. what he used to do is like he never used to like pay taxes on time which he is supposed to pay uh, to the british he used to like you know annex other areas around the presidency uh, against the british british uh, wishes Finally, everything reached a boiling point when uh, Mir Kazim, with the help of Sujaud Dawla, the then ruler of Awadh, and uh, Shah Alam II, the then ruler of Mughal, hatched a plot to like overthrow the Britishers, who were under the leadership of Major Hector Munro, and it resulted in the Battle of Baksar in twenty-third uh, June, seventeen sixty-four. So, uh, can you imagine what would have happened? I mean, if it, if it is anything, history has taught us. I, I'm sure that uh, they were no match for the Britishers. Yeah. So the Britishers they defeated uh, the army of Mir Kazim and the rest. Then Mir Kazim fled the battlefield. He then later committed suicide. Then the Britishers, what they did was they again put Mir Jafar in power. I mean, like as a puppet Nawab. Then in 1765, Mir Jafar died. So till then. the britishers they didn't actually want to like administer the whole country but once after the death of mir jafar they were like okay probably we can rule the country on a whole but there was what do we mean by country here there were like separate states and separate stuff, right? princely states mm-hmm. you know if they can unify all the states under their rule they found that it would be more profitable for them to rule that way but during the battle of baksar like after battle of plassey Robert Clive left India in uh, 1760. Mm. Uh, he got married and he amassed a lot of wealth and he went back there. He tried his hands on politics and stuff, but then it didn't really work out. So the company called him back after the Battle of Baksa to recruit for an army that would be able to, like you know, help the company with this process of you know administering uh, across India. So at this point, it is not the British government that is trying to. uh overthrow states here and uh, conquer the entire india it's just the east india company that is doing it's this. just the company that's what like the british government or the british uh, ruler did not come into the fray till 1857 after the sepoy mutiny mm. so from 1608 till uh, 1857 it was all the uh, british east india company and no one else so Robert Clive he realized the potential of how it would help them if they were able to administer the whole uh, country like you know different individual princely states so he put forth an idea you know uh, we'll do one thing we'll have you know residents at all uh, presidencies so uh, it was not not just the bengal presidency uh, then they went ahead and annexed uh, madras and also bombay so they were like okay we'll put one one person called the resident who will be staying there in that presidency and they'll be taking care of all the administration and you know defense mm-hmm. uh, part of the presidencies so at first it was just the uh, defense part they'll provide protection to the princely state 
and in return they would t- pay them uh, a tribute uh, by the end of the year or like whatever agreement they had so one of the uh, bengal resident was uh, warren hastings so warren hastings was a completely different man uh, in comparison with uh, robert clive though they were great friends he was a lot different in many ways like uh, Warren Hastings came to India during his teenage years and uh, he was actually he actually loved the country so he was Rob- a much better man as what you're trying to yeah, say yeah so clive never liked india mm. uh, even though i think his whole his entire campaigns in india seems like a result of some uh, you know suppressed anger and yeah. resentment and all yeah. that kind of stuff it's true so it's, it's true a, <laughs> yeah it's true. it's a teenage issue which boiled into teenage later, angst you know later yeah. aggression yeah <laughs> but on the other hand warren hastings he wanted to understand the culture of the people mm. and how they lived he even went on and learned the local language it's urdu right. and even persian he was actually fluent at all these languages and i think persian know? was spoken widely in the indian subcontinent mostly towards the north western side of it right yeah but the thing was like he was one of the person who was actually captured and put in the Fort William black hole you know place mm, that really takes a lot of understanding yeah. to still <laughs> yeah sirajuddaulah's rule be okay yeah, with uh, stuff so even though he was part of all that he was still a good person mm. trying to like implement uh, you know laws and rules uh, which would benefit the people who are living here right under robert clive he was uh, given the position of the resident of uh, bengal mm. in 1758 that is just after uh, the battle of plassey right yeah so he went on to hold that position for uh, a lo- you know a considerable period of time and robert clive by that time he went back to england then came back but the thing was like because of his love for the country right he never indulged in corruption and uh, even though he was one of the most important people in in the east india company he never had that kind of wealth so uh so he was a very straightforward kind of a guy yeah mm-hmm. yeah so then he went back to england after uh, some years he uh, ended up indulging in a lot of things uh, enjoying his life then uh, he almost went broke mm-hmm. so then again he wanted to come back but the east india company the people uh, running the company knowing that this guy is like not a corrupt guy who he wants so, to right <laughs> he was not useful for them yeah so they they denied his request for uh, you know to come back to india and you know hold a position mm. with the company but then robert clive being his friend he called him back then uh, in 1770 there was a widespread famine in bengal which killed around like 10 million people wow yeah yeah i didn't know about this before so uh, after that the, the the british government realized even though the company is making a lot of money for them due to the corruption of the employees they have to like pay the company for them to stay afloat wow the so company even the, though they were making so much they were near bankruptcy all the time so british government ended up spending more money on the company so because of this they established this uh, system of governance in uh, bengal but this was in 1765 they had tried to like keep it at bay the corruption at bay since uh, a long time so it started in 1765 something called the dual system of governance so the east india company they set up this dual system of governance uh which introduced the diwan and nizam in the bengal presidency so every district in bengal would have like a diwan and nizam the diwan would be like selected by the company to collect revenue for them and the nizam would be the one who would be ruling the region 
and the company basically they took over the defense uh, administration part and left the nawab with the civil administration so this happened under the mughal ruler shah alam 2 who was part of the battle of baksar and he was forced to allow the company to collect taxes from bengal uh, bihar and orissa mm, i think shah alam was one of the last rulers yeah. of mughal empire i think um, bahadur shah was his son i ba- think bahadur shah Not sure. there were like two bahadur shahs right yeah bahadur shah the second was the last mughal emperor yeah. uh, who was arrested by british and exiled yeah yeah i think to burma or somewhere yeah it was in 1850s right mm, i think During it was just after mutiny. the mutiny yeah, time yeah 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 so uh, for the tax collection in bengal bihar and orissa they the the british they paid annual tribute to the emperor so what was happening here is like the revenue received from these regions by the company they used it to buy merchandise like spices textile and everything from india and the returns of all this would go back to england hmm so this is where the company became like economically sufficient in mm-hmm. india mm-hmm. and thus began the looting of the colony so basically they were like collecting taxes from the regions in india they were using that money which is taken from indians to buy stuff from india and send it to europe and if it's textile or something they'll send it to the mills in europe create textile you know clothes and all that bring it back to india and sell it to india this is like some kind of a you know ponzi scheme so <laughs> so you are they are taking your money then take using that money to buy the stuff raw materials that you have then they're selling that raw, raw materials to their country they are making good stuff out of it and selling it back to indians yeah hmm, interesting yeah it sounds like a very straightforward business <laughs> you know right <laughs> so they made a lot of money out of it and which led to the downfall of uh, you know people in india especially in bengal resulting in as i said the famine in 1770 because of that the regulating act of 1773 was uh, you know put in place so what this act did was it brought the three provinces madras bengal and uh, bombay under one rule and established this post of governor general in india hmm. so governor general kind of uh, takes lead on all the states which are annexed by the british yeah so he is the governor of the governors Kind of yeah 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 right? so each individual place would have their own you know governing mm. system but this person will be like you know and i think governor general is a post that existed even after india got independent uh, if i am not wrong mount lord mount batten was the first governor general of free india and then we had uh, i think after mount batten it was c rajagopalachari and i think he was the one who held the position um, for the last time yeah so uh, after mount batten left in 1948 it was just a puppet uh, you know uh, position position right from 48 to 50 c uh, rajagopalachari held the position but after that they just were like yeah this is not working <laughs> was not required to be on yeah I see mean. but mount batten he held uh, you know he was the last governor general of colonial india and the mm. first governor general of free <laughs> india wow i wonder why did he I wonder why did Indian government even let him be the governor general? Yeah. Maybe it was more in the way of showing some respect or something. I don't for know. For what? For dividing the country? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that is something we can delve into when we go to that independence episode. Ah, yeah, we'll do that as soon. So Warren Hastings, uh, he became the first governor general of Bengal uh, in 1771. Robert Clive gave his position to uh, Warren Hastings. and he became the governor general of india in 1773 so he was the first governor general of india warren hastings hmm. oh good for a man who didn't do i mean didn't appease the company had to go back to england 
be almost bro- be broke and then come back to india right yeah that is why you should have friends in high places <laughs> i know <laughs> so the share prices of the company plummeted uh, during these times because of the corruption and british government had to bail them out all the time so one of the first things hastings did after taking over the governor general position of bengal was to set up this judicial plan of 1772 Uh, which created a criminal and diwani adalat criminal which is fauzdari and uh, diwani adalat for the districts of uh, bengal bihar and orissa and each of these districts had district collectors which we still have even mm-hmm. now and he held the power of administrator judge and the magistrate mm-hmm. so uh, what he did was like to make the rules and laws of the uh, region he consulted with qazis and pandits and they translated the local rules mm-hmm. to these officials so that you know there won't be that cultural gap whenever yeah, yeah. a decision is made this created uh, a fair judicial system and uh, it led to the present day district administrative system of india so something that was started in 1772 it still exists now mm. so uh, I, al- i always used to wonder what when you say district collectors what are they collecting i used to taxes. think that you know they used to collect taxes but that's not the case so yeah so this move helped you know correct the defects and re- retain like the local traditions of the courts and laws of the region but at the same time uh, it was also unsatisfactory because uh, you know the qazis and pandits used to like sway the judgments based on their preferences also the district collector used to hold a lot of power mm. something which he shouldn't be having then in uh, 1773 a supreme court was established in fort william the same fort william so i think uh, yeah all this is because calcutta was initially the capital of india i don't know how many of us know that before delhi became the capital it was calcutta right yeah yeah, yeah. it was calcutta when was it moved to I delhi i think it was moved to delhi in 20s or something 1920s right? yeah yeah Oh, I have to specify nineteen. Uh, yeah, yeah, you have to specify because it, it's British rule was spanning many yeah. centuries. So we'll get to it when we do the research. So don't worry. Now, the interesting thing to note is now we are talking about seventeen fifties and sixties. It took hundred and ninety to two hundred years for India to be independent after all this. Yeah. So the Supreme Court it was set up because of the dilemma of the British. government because as i said again the company was profitable but at the same time the employees were corrupted so they had to keep an eye on the employees so the supreme court was uh, you know set up then uh, they wanted to expand of course they wanted to expand mm. so after the bombay and madras provinces uh, were included uh, with the britishers uh, with the bengal one they looked at mysore Mm. and uh, because it controlled the trade of the malabar coast and right. malabar coast it was known for uh, pepper and cardamom trade so uh, mysore was ruled by hyderabad yeah. and then followed by tipu sultan which resulted in three wars we are not going to get into the three or four right i think i don't uh, i don't exactly know but i have been reading a book the ivory throne by manu pillai it has a very beautiful intro into that the the way you get into the book is the first chapter is mostly like a history of kerala right so the reason that mysore was controlling malabar trade was because malabar was actually a part of kerala right and it is still a part of kerala um so mysore decided to invade kerala they were able to get till uh, northern part of malabar so they drove 
the ruling like zamorins and zamorin was a ruler of uh, calicut right so they overthrew them and they started exerting their power so that they can control the entire sea trading which was very prominent at that point with the arabs and some of the european powers chinese also but chinese stopped trading with india long back so that was one of the biggest assets that um, mysore could get because controlling the sea trade means it is a big revenue that's how they got into it but yeah uh, more on that later but we are not talking about history of kerala anyway yeah we'll we'll uh, come to the f- wars and all that stuff once uh, this we uh, you know close on the just the basic history of mm. what happened so mysore played an important role but the sultan's anti european sentiment came in between this <laughs> which resulted in uh, the anglo mysore wars hyderabad fought the first two or three i'm not really I think sure two of them, yeah right? yeah two of them then tipu sultan came and uh, he was killed in 1799 yes uh, i think richard wellesley was the governor general of mm. uh, britain of east india company back then yeah that and reminds me of sanjay gandhi's uh, tipu sultan serial which used to come in the version oh, i i haven't watched oh, you haven't it. watched, haven't watched it? it because it, i think it was in 90s yeah early 90s i think uh, but here is a thing okay i mean um you look at tipu sultan if you watch the series he's like this hero who is fighting against the british and all that so in that story you really feel that okay you know you're you're rooting for this guy you want him to win and all that now if you go to malabar region of that time right and if you look at it from um, the kings and princes of kerala how um, mysore this mysore empire of hyder ali and tipu sultan treated them they don't really look like heroes at all yeah right because a lot of things have happened in that area so i've heard about this too so when you talk about his, this is the thing about history right in one story when someone feels like a hero and you know you're rooting for that person to you know for what they have done and all that there is a, another story from another angle which kind of puts them in a completely different light i think it depends on whose perspective we are yes. uh, listening to the story from and yeah. that is a thing about history books as well right although we think that history is in a certain way right if someone else had written the same history it would be a completely different story yeah. it's mostly like um let's say if you go back to ramayana times and if you look at ramayana from as an indian you feel that okay they went to lanka killed ravana end of the story won the war and all that but i've heard that there is a different version of ramayana in lanka Sri which lanka. tells a different story altogether i've not read it so but yeah slightly controversial <laughs> but <be>. yeah <laughs> you should look into it anyway yeah so uh this was this is what happened with the mysore kingdom and then the si- similar things used to happen with marathas too marathas and the nizam of hyderabad so uh, and i think marathas were not in good terms with mysore as well right see the issue was none of these empires were, were in, good, in term. good terms with each other the indian empires okay princely states so they were also not in good terms with the britishers too mm. but the britishers they were like cunning enough to like use this to their advantage <laughs> and lead each yeah. other to like fight each other and then at that time they'll go and annex that actually weakened side. them a lot if they yeah. had put the all the energy into into fighting the british it would have been independent even yeah more. and even the american uh, revolution played an important role uh, in uh, colonization of india by mm. the british so during the american revolution uh, 
they were fighting against the Brit- against the british in north america right mm. so the french they were like they were fighting with them over there also like the americans they were having a pact with the french who mm. were there mm. and they were tr- they were trying to get rid of the britishers there so friends they thought okay when this thing is happening why don't we like go to india and help the indian princely states fight against the british and they hatched plans with the nizams and marathas and all all of them and they sent some convoys from france okay Uh, but they were a little late by the time they reached <laughs> india uh, the britishers had uh, you know already defeated the indians and uh, they were kind of standard they didn't have you know any place to go to only so, if yeah. suez canal was open at that time yeah it would have been much easier the britishers some of the policies they set up was like you know they uh, set up this policy where uh, we can have civil servants in india mm. which was like a great thing but the issue was like indian civil servants right yeah indian civil servants but the issue was that if an indian civil servant want to become a civil servant they should go to london they have to go to <laughs> britain and take the exam <laughs> because i i and read, you have to you are an you are an indian who wants to be a civil servant in india but you have to go to uk for the exam you have to go there so yeah there were like loopholes everywhere i remember reading this thing in school uh, we had this lesson called the prize of the flowers something like that I where this uh, indian during you know uh, british india he used he went to uh, you know uk to write the civil service exam and he and he befriends a family there It's it's actually a touching story you should mm. read it sometime yeah i don't know how that came up right now but yeah <laughs> so yeah one of the po- other policies that uh, the britishers came with was subsidiary alliance which was mm, first put forth by duplay i explained oh, it at yeah. the beginning of the episode <laughs> so uh, now i understand how much uh, you know attention you are uh, paying to this episode <laughs> see brain is not for uh, it brain is for uh, having ideas not holding them okay yeah mm. so Uh, Richard Wellesley he is the one who actually put forth this uh, measure for the britishers so through subsidiary alliance uh, an indian ruler can get into a pact with the british uh, where uh, they'll take care of all the you know uh, defense needs of the of the region mm. they would set up one resident in that region who would look after everything uh so the the region they'll have to take care of all their needs not just their salary but also their uh, you know living arrangements and food and everything through subsidiary alliance the region is not supposed to like uh, get into a pact with any other colonial power nor any other princely states and whenever a decision has to be made uh, it would be the company who would be uh, taking the final uh, decision and the ruler has to acknowledge that the east india company is the paramount power <laughs> <laughs> also if the place is not able to like provide the uh, the compensation which is supposed to give it to the company they would slowly annex the uh, region i mean that is obviously the final uh, plan right i mean yeah. they would make it so that they will not the regions will not be able to pay their taxes and slowly make them into their own lands yeah so this is what happened and uh, richard wellesley he was particularly angry when uh, Tipu Sultan refused to sign the subsidiary alliance and uh, that resulted in the uh, 1799 Anglo uh, Mysore war and then there was the another uh, policy called doctrine of lapse but dalhousie yeah right hmm. yeah and we named a place after him after he did this we have yeah. india has a lot of places <laughs> named after a lot of britishers to be honest we have fraser town cockstown 
richards down everything yeah. just maybe like a, within 10 to 20 i think the only uh, i think the only uh, justifiable one is annie besant road <laughs> because she did a lot of things for the indians she mm. was actually good <clears throat> so the doctrine of lapse it stated that the british would have the company would have the power to you know determine who would be the next ruler of a particular region like if a ruler dies without having a male heir or like any competent heir the company would choose the next ruler or they can annex the region and through this uh, the thing was like uh, if the company felt that a ruler is incompetent they could remove them mm. and what happens is that the ruler will will not be given any pension or like mm. whatever compensation they were getting while they were ruling the country ruling the region so this angered a lot of rulers because earlier the thing was like even though the rulers were selling their soul to the company they get money yeah they used to get money and most of the brunt of the problems were faced by the commoners but through doctrine of lapse the thing was like the rulers were you know getting affected by this so yeah they were against all these things so all these issues led uh, the rulers and the commoners being even the sepoys who were uh, with the british east india being highly unsatisfied with the ruling of the company and it resulted in the sepoy mutiny of 1857 so i think we're going to stop it here and uh, we're going to talk about the sepoy mutiny uh, in the next episode and how the british crown you know took over the rule from the east india company mm, that is a critical thing right because when we talk about british invasion of india and all that we always have this thing or at least i had this thing in mind that the british government is always behind this but that didn't start until after almost what 200 years of them come stepping yeah, their foot more in than india. 200 years more because 250 they, years almost they set foot in surat in 1608 yeah so almost and, 250 yeah. years yeah. is when british east india company was taking care of things that is after british that is when british government started taking over in about 1857 interesting yeah. so we'll talk about that next time